I'm Father Dwight Longenecker. Thank you for listening to More Christianity. More Christianity is the book I've written to share the Catholic faith with evangelical Christians. And so we go through the different doctrines of the Catholic faith and explain them to evangelicals in a friendly way, not saying we're right, you're wrong, but affirming everything which is good about their sincere devotion to Jesus Christ, but summoning them to come further up and further in and to share in the fullness of the Christian faith in the Catholic Church. More Christianity is available to purchase from my website, DwightLongenecker.com. And now, let's get started with more Christianity. Welcome to More Christianity. I'm Father Dwight Longenecker, your host for this program. This is the program where we explore the fullness of the Christian faith in the Catholic Church. Today we're coming from the Marian Eucharistic Conference at St. Joseph's Catholic High School in Greenville, South Carolina. And my guest today, and one of the speakers at the conference, is Mother Assumpta Long. She's the prioress of the Dominicans of Mary, Mother of the Eucharist in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Welcome to Greenville, Mother, and welcome to More Christianity. Thank you so much. It's wonderful to be here with all you good people. Now, Mother, the Dominicans are known here in the United States, the Dominican Sisters, for being so active in our schools and helping to teach and bring the Catholic faith into our schools. Can you tell us a little bit about your order? Well, I'd be glad to. We were founded, made a new foundation in 1997, and we're in Ann Arbor, Michigan. We started with four sisters, and now we're over 120. And we also are very much committed to Catholic education. Mm -hmm. We're in seven states, eight dioceses, and love to be in the schools and to teach the faith and do whatever we can. Of course, parents are the primary educators of their children, but we do everything we can to teach the faith and improve the culture, not only to give a good education. Mother, we get your wonderful newsletter, which comes out, I think, quarterly, and we see the pictures of the novices, the postulants, young women with radiant faces, obviously full of the joy of the Lord and, and full of the joy of serving him in the Dominican order. What are the numbers like now? Do you see the number of postulants and novices coming into your order increasing? Oh my goodness, yes. And our problem is that we're out of room. It's such a gift, but it presents quite a challenge. Mm-hmm. And of course, since we're educators, we have to consider their teaching degrees or, you know, their formation primarily. Right. But it's all worth it. They're wonderful, wonderful young women. Do most of the young women come to you after having completed a college degree in, say, elementary education, or are they coming straight out of high school? Or uh, Both. We, we will accept them after high school until probably around age 30. And so you have all different kinds. You know, you have some college graduates, maybe a doctorate, maybe a master's, but very, very few come in with a teaching degree. They might have a, another degree, but it takes two or two and a half years to get them a teaching degree. So it's, anyway, it's wonderful. So you have yeah. to find a place to house these young women oh, we do. and help to find the funding to educate the young women. You're not kidding. <laughs> so you don't yeah. have a teacher training college no, uh, no, on we the don't. premises, we so don't. they're completing the degree we at their don't. local uh, state university? Yeah. You know, they go to Eastern um, Michigan University, and you know what is so wonderful? Many of them do their student teaching in the public schools in their religious habits. It's been a wonderful experience. A great witness. Oh, it's wonderful, and it's been it's been great. And so... When they come through and their their formation as uh, Dominican sisters presumably is going parallel to 
their training in elementary education. Is that correct? That's right. Well, when they first come, they have three years of just studies to learn the life, to make sure that this is what God is calling them to, you know, theology, Mariology, all of the things that they need to be taught just to live the religious life. It's a time of testing, in a sense, for them, not only for the community, but for them also. And so it's after this time, after they make profession, we send them to the university. One of the girls in the parish that I was working in came to the convent, and she was in college at the time, and she was really serious about her Catholic faith. And like a lot of young women, I suppose, thought, am I supposed to be a sister? Uh, you <laughs> yes, know, Am I yes. supposed to be doing this for God? And yeah. I felt a little bit of pressure. So she tells the story how she went to one of your vocations weekends, and within a few hours, she had a conversation with one of the other sisters who said, don't worry, my dear. I think you're probably not called to this life. <laughs> Isn't <laughs> and, that wonderful? And she, yeah. <laughs> but she said it very gently. And the, the girl came away with, with a great sense of relief. So good, like, good. I looked into it. I answered good. that question. And God was not leading me good. there. You know what is wonderful? Like last weekend, I think it was last weekend, Sister had, it's just overnight. They come with their sleeping bags. They sleep on the floor in the school. Mm-hmm. It's all night adoration. And she had, she had to stop the registration. I think she had 180. She is wonderful, really, in the sense that she tries to direct them as much as she can, of course, you know, even if it's to another community or uh, like you say, she told one girl, she said, I think you have a vocation to the married life. The girl just gave her a big hug. Oh, thank you. You know, <laughs> So it's not for our community. Of course, we're thrilled if, if young women come that are called there, but it's where she might say, Little Sisters of the Poor Missionaries of Charity, a contemplative uh-huh. community. So... It's wonderful. So those vocations weekends also help yeah. girls to find their way oh, into some other orders. Definitely, perhaps. definitely. You know, Mother, there is, as you know, in the United States, in the Catholic Church, there is has been a, a major crisis in the, the women's religious orders in, uh-huh. in many ways. And what I'm so encouraged by with the Dominican Sisters of Mary, Mother of the Eucharist, is that you're not out there moaning and groaning and whining about the so-called crisis and and all the terrible things that are happening and being negative. You're out there doing something positive and saying, right, right well, let's go, right. just get on and live the Catholic faith in its fullness and its mm-hmm. and its richness in full sympathy with that's the right. aims, that's the real right. aims of the that's Second right. Vatican Council. That's right. Uh, and making this work. Yeah, that's part of the reason why, because it was traumatic for me to decide why I allowed our sisters to go on Oprah and also on the Bible Challenge. Mm-hmm. You know, I thought it was a wonderful way to witness, and it turned out to be that way. I mean, you know, you just think you don't want your sisters involved in something, that, but it seemed to be inappropriate after checking mm-hmm. that it would be the right thing to do, and it's incredible what that did. In the new evangelization, yes, we have to, right. in other words, we have to take a few risks. That's right. Uh, That's step right. out of our comfort zone. <laughs> and the Sunday before... Thanksgiving, they're going to be singing at the Ryman Auditorium in Nashville Mm -hmm. with a Christian evening or something. So that's going to be nice. And uh, so your sisters are getting to be media celebrities, is that right? (laughs) Well, that's not our aim, but that's what's happening, it looks like. But if if that can be used by the Lord and and used in the right way, I'm sure that you've got the wisdom to steer through there without um, any major uh, pitfalls. Now, one of the things we're discussing here with Mother Assumpta Long, the prioress of the Dominican Sisters of Mary, Mother of the Eucharist, is also the role of the Blessed Mother. We're here at a Marian conference. And one of the things which it's important to clarify are the Marian dogmas that yes. are so distinctive to yes. our Catholic faith. Yes. And so the first of those 
chronologically, although not the first to be defined, yeah. is, of course, the dogma of the Immaculate Conception right. of the Blessed Virgin Mary. If I were a, let's say, poorly catechized Catholic or a non-Catholic Christian, how's the simplest way that you would explain that to someone? What is the Immaculate Conception of the Blessed Virgin Mary? You know, it's interesting because that's something kind of I brought out in my paper on Mary, the Mother of Mercy, is that the theologians struggle with this. How could her immaculate conception be outside God's mercy? Why would God grant mm-hmm. mercy to her if she's immaculate conceived? But the church certainly made that definition very clear that because of her privilege to be the mother of God, that he created her immaculately conceived so that her role could be such to become the mother of God. But she was not outside his redemption because she was the first to be redeemed in a sense, you know, because her immaculate conception was an act of his divine mercy Yes, that from the very beginning. So. So, sometimes um, I'll get into a little bit of apologetics mode with some of my non-Catholic Christian friends who will say, but Mary needed a Savior. She calls the Lord my Savior, yes. so she must also have been a sinner. And they quote the verse in Romans, which says that all have sinned and, and fallen short of the glory of God. And they say, how do you get around that? And so I say, well, you know, she has also said in the Magnificat, the Lord has done great, great things, things for me. me. Yes. And uh, therefore, the teaching of the church, to build on what you've said, is that she did need a Redeemer, but the miracle of her Immaculate Conception was achieved through the redemption of her son right. retroactively. And it's beautiful to see the way the church's theologians have meditated on this. What do you think, Mother, that the Immaculate Conception of the Blessed Virgin, how does that impact or what does that say about the pro-life cause? When we talk about pro-life, we're talking about heart of God's design in the creation of man and woman. Even through her Immaculate Conception to the Mother of God, she is so pure, but God created man and woman to beget children. She is the model and we are just in progress. You know, we try to be what we should be looking at her. And so when God has granted life to a couple, mm-hmm. we bring that life into creation. But also the doctrine is that God's work began in the Blessed Mother's life at the point of conception. Yes. Uh, and that this immaculate conception also reminds us that that's when life begins. Oh, and, yes. And the beauty of this is that it's not just a theory. It's right. not just an abstract idea that Catholics have. <laughs> Instead, we say all the time our theology, our theory, our beliefs are in some way incarnated and lived out within the mysteries of the gospel. And so this pro-life belief, life begins at conception. And that here in the doctrine of the Immaculate Conception, our Lord in the life of of the Blessed Mother says, absolutely. Yes. The whole mystery of the incarnation really begins, doesn't it? At the Immaculate Conception of the I see. Virgin. Yeah, right. And so it works Beautiful. its way through yes. and, and comes true within, within that. This doctrine of the Immaculate Conception, we're uh, talking today with Mother Assumpta Long, the prioress of the Dominican Sisters of Mary, Mother of the Eucharist. Mary is obviously, therefore, uh, central to your vocation and to the charism of your community. Could you say something more about that? Well, in the Dominican tradition or in any of the traditions of the church, I can't even imagine not having Mary in our lives, Mm -hmm. you know, to look at her as the model of what we are to become through grace, what she was by nature and how God created her. But in looking at that and in looking at the Eucharist, you can't separate Mary in the Eucharist. She is referred to as the first tabernacle Uh that she bore within her womb, you know, the God man. 
So we thought we couldn't do any better than to have Mary and the Eucharist as uh, as the foundation of our new foundation of Dominican Sisters. So as Mary gives flesh to the Son of Man, the Eucharist gives flesh to the Son of Man and makes him a reality in our lives, Yes. then these truths then must be influential in the formation of your sisters. Oh, right. Saying right. that sisters in your lives now, you're incarnating the Word of God again, becoming all that you can be, and that's that's the, yes. the mystery of the Incarnation. You're listening to More Christianity. This is the program where we explore the fullness of the Christian faith in the Catholic Church. I'm Father Dwight Longenecker. I'm privileged today to have as my guest Mother of Sumter Long, and we've been talking about their wonderful community there in Ann Arbor. Sister, do we have a website or a place that our listeners can go to to learn more about the community? We do. If they go to sistersofmary.org, they can find out probably more than they want to know. <laughs> so they can go to sistersofmary.org. And learn about your community, community, which is growing and uh, spreading and doing wonderful work all across the United States. Mother of Sumter Long, thank you for being my guest today. God bless you. God bless. Thanks. And we're at the Marian Eucharistic Conference in Greenville, South Carolina. We'll be right back, and my guest in the second half of the program will be Father Mitch Pacwa. I want to take a moment and remind our listeners about my blog, Standing on My Head. It's called Standing on My Head in reference to a quote by G.K. Chesterton that a scene is very often more clearly seen when it is seen upside down. I write about current events, church matters, things in the world generally, and try to stand them on their head so that we have a gospel perspective. So go to my blog, Standing on My Head, and read it every day, bookmark it, and come and visit me there. Welcome back to More Christianity, the program where we explore the fullness of the Christian faith in the Catholic Church. My guest in the second half of the program now is Father Mitch Pacwa, and we're speaking from St. Joseph's Catholic School in Greenville, South Carolina, where we are attending the Marian Eucharistic Conference. Welcome to More Christianity, Father. Thank you very much. Great to be here. Now, Father, you're hosting your own shows on EWTN, and you're doing live programs on television, sharing the faith with such enthusiasm and such a vast amount of knowledge. Tell us a little bit about the ministry of EWTN at this time. Where, where is EWTN? Where has it been? Where is it going? I began doing programs at EWTN in 1984, so it's almost 30 years. And it's amazing to see the change because we've gone from four hours a day on television. And even in the early days, the first hour, we didn't have enough programming to fill it. Mm -hmm. So we were showing a Chinese cooking show, (laughs) Walk with Chan and Bill Cosby. Mm -hmm. Over these 30 years, not only have we gone to six hours and then full 24 hours a day, but the quality of programming has continued to improve. And what's happened over the years have been incredible expansions Back in those days, I think we were on about 2 million homes. Today, it's 220 million homes. And that's worldwide. Worldwide. Mm -hmm. Plus, in the early 90s, Mother thought we needed to go on to radio. She assumed that since most people in the world, especially the third world, have shortwave, we would do shortwave radio broadcasting. But now we're also on satellite radio. And in 1991 or two, there were two Catholic radio stations in the country. Uh One in Alaska, one in Ohio. So not really arm in arm. 
no, no, no. And the Alaskan one was as much a local news service because this is the way you found out. Mrs. So-and-so is having a baby. Can somebody fly a plane there to bring over to the hospital? Okay. I mean, it was it was live radio. And that was radio Catholic radio and, in Alaska. Yeah. They would have mass, you know, every day. But, you know, it was mostly just chit-chat and another program. Well, Mother started this and wanted to be really Catholic. As a matter of fact, the one in Ohio also went under. Mm-hmm. And I went to the second radio conference mm-hmm. in which there were 24 people. Today, there are over 320 radio stations. We expected to reach 500 by the end of 2014. This is not only going out and expanding in conventional radio broadcasting terms, but the programs and the content are available through internet streaming. Absolutely. Available for podcasts. Exactly. Smartphones. You know, Mother always had a sense of the importance of keeping up with the new technology. Mm -hmm. She always bought the best equipment and kept up with it because, again, when I started, it was one-inch tape. Now it's Blu-ray. Right. You know, the media just keeps changing and and improving. And same with radio. One of the radio affiliates up in Washington State has the whole radio station in a corner of his living room. Right. And the technology and the gadgetry has reduced in size. So it's economical and it's feasible for people to start up a little radio station. Even if it's not going out on a typical radio broadcast, they can do it through streaming online, through their websites, through blogging. And the other thing is we've expanded linguistically. Mm -hmm. We began with some Spanish. Now we have 24-hour Spanish. We have 24-hour German. We have part-time French, part-time English with a view towards full-time French broadcasting because there are 200 million francophones around the world, especially in Africa. And so this kind of constant expansion has made a tremendous impact. No one will be able to tell the story of American Catholicism without including a section on Mother Angelica and EWTN. It's all come down to an awful lot of faith, an awful lot of hard work, and an awful lot of generosity. So I'm going to take a minute here and uh, have a little push and say, be involved in this expansion. Everyone's talking about the new evangelization, the new evangelization. There's a lot of talk going, a lot of books being written, a lot of of yakety-yak, which is very useful. I'm not down on that. But we also need people just to get involved and, and do something. Start a little station on your own with your laptop and network and meet other people. Also, if the Lord has blessed you financially, this costs money. Get involved. Sure. Support EWTN. Support WCKI, our local station in South Carolina. Support your local station wherever you are and get involved enthusiastically and joyfully. Father Paco, if I start my local Catholic radio station and I come to EWTN, are you going to provide programming for me? 24 hours, either in Spanish or English, and it's free. We don't charge any of our affiliates to do that. Again, we live and always have lived on the generosity and the openness of people's hearts from the beginning. Let me just explain those also to our listeners a little bit of how this works. Here in South Carolina, we have WCKI and two or three other stations. We're expanding as we can, and we are one of the EWTN affiliates, so we receive the programming from EWTN, but we're also working here to produce this program, 
the producers, engineers come together. I get in the studio. We get on the phone. We get a little bit of secretarial help, and we make it happen to produce this program, More Christianity, which EWTN has just now picked up in the new year. It's going to be going out on the new EWTN radio channel, too. We provide this programming for EWTN free. They then pump it out to all the affiliates free. But it does still cost money. So we need people to, to support us and, and work together to make it available free of charge. See, here's one of the other aspects. All of the affiliates are totally free to come up with their own programming. Mm-hmm. And a number of them, like yourself, have come up with such good programming. And this is not only taking what EWTN sends from Irondale, Mm. But it has evoked a creativity all over the country. I've been on a number of local programs down in Baton Rouge. They mm-hmm. have a great time because, well, they're, they're Cajuns, and they're always eating something, and they're <laughs> always just yakking. And, of course, I give them a little grief about LSU's football skills compared to University of Alabama. But we have a, a back-and-forth fun with them, and, you know, we tr- do what we can to tend to promote that, but... They are creative in their own right. Folks in Cincinnati have their own Sunrise Sunrise Morning Show. That's one of theirs. That's now all over. This goes on all over the country. You know, Catholics are becoming increasingly creative in this, this media business with a real cool future in that John Paul the Great University in San Diego is now dedicated to training. Catholic young people to work precisely in the media. Wonderful. You're listening to More Christianity, the program where we explore the fullness of the Christian faith in the Catholic Church, and I'm honored today to have as my guest EWTN personality, Father Mitch Pacwa. Father, all of this talk about Catholic radio and the new media is fantastic. We're also at a Marian conference, so I wanted to just explore with you a little bit about the role of the Blessed Mother and the relationship to the mystery of the Eucharist. Can you say a few words about that? Sure. Something that was a very important issue back in the Carolingian Renaissance, back in the ninth century, is that a couple theologians arose who disputed that the Eucharist is the same body of Christ as was born of the Virgin Mary, was crucified, died, and was buried. Mm -hmm. Now, that was a change from all the earlier theologians. You see, even with somebody like St. Ignatius of Antioch, in his epistle to the Smyrnians, chapter 7, speaking about the Eucharist as the same body yes. that died and rose. However, these theologians were trying to say, well, this is a more spiritual thing, and Jesus has a different body than he had. This is Pascasius Radbertus uh-huh. and Arantram. And this dispute then was picked up by Berengarius mm-hmm. in the 11th century. Those theologians, like every single theologian of the early church, accepted the real presence and the sacrificial nature of the Mass. Berengarius took their idea, as it was presented to him by the bishop who trained him to be a deacon, and he then said, well, therefore, the Eucharist is not the real presence of Christ. And he was the first theologian to deny Mm -hmm. that it really is the body and blood of Christ. Now, he still believed it as sacrifice, but he did not believe that it was the real presence. Now, 
And it was in response to Berengarius that the church began to define this more. As a matter of fact, it was a French priest Mm -hmm. during his lifetime who said, wait a minute, if we explain the real presence in terms of transubstantiation, namely the substance of Christ's body, Mm -hmm. the substance of bread is changed into the substance of Christ's body and the substance of wine into his blood. But the accidents, the taste, weight, color, etc., remain the same. And when Berengarius saw that distinction, he said, that makes sense. And he came back to the Catholic faith. So, How, so transubstantiation is a philosophical explanation of what we have always believed happens on the altar. Right. And that that faith was there. Now, to help the lay people understand why Berengarius was wrong, they especially came up with a number of hymns, such as Ave Verum Corpus, mm-hmm. Natus Ex Maria Virgine, Hail True Body, Born of the Virgin Mary. It was a Eucharistic hymn saying that the body born of the Virgin and that died, buried, and rose is the same body. Right. And what's interesting is that you know, I've been able to celebrate Mass in seven out of the 23 rites of the Catholic Church. Maronite, of course, Roman rite, my own rite, yeah. Byzantine rites. Uh, Chaldean. Uh, Chaldean yes. rite, Syro-Malankara, Coptic Catholic rite, mm-hmm. all these rites. A number of things that are universal to them all is A, belief in the real presence and sacrificial nature of the Mass. All the ancient churches believe that, and every single church that accepts the real presence includes explicit mention of the Virgin Mary in the Eucharistic prayers and anaphorae of the Eastern Rites, whereas those churches that deny the real presence always exclude Mary from their Eucharistic prayers. It's interesting coming to to the same universal Catholic uh, church, Father, from an evangelical Protestant and then an Anglican background, that what you're saying is exactly true. Even in the Anglican Eucharist, which was... uh, fairly high church or fairly, sure. like to think of themselves fairly Catholic, sure. that reference to the Blessed Mother was not there. Exactly. And so in becoming a Catholic and taking that final step, the first time I, I can remember the first time I said Mass as a Catholic priest, I was aware of this. And the role of the Blessed Mother and her prayers in my own conversion were very instrumental. Yes. And to see it all come together then in the Eucharist as a Catholic, I, I was so deeply moved. This is not just a theory or a, or a, or a theological right. proposition. It's a reality on the altar, a reality in my life, and a reality in the fellowship of the saints. And see, it also brings in the sacrificial aspect. Mary was at the cross. Yes. Because the Eucharist is the representation of Christ's death, and that she must be at the sacrifice, and her mention also brings out the real presence. You're listening to More Christianity. This is the program where we explore the fullness of the Christian faith in the Catholic Church. My guest today is Father Mitch Packwell. Wonderful insights, Father. If you hear a little bit of rumble, that's because we're here at the Marian Eucharistic Conference in and Greenville, there's a South fight? Carolina. And there's no, there's not a fight. Well, not there's that just kind a, of rumble. A lot of, a lot of people here who are struggling to listen to what we're saying and also talking to one another, having a great time of fellowship. Thank you for listening to More Christianity. Father Packwell, thank you for being my guest. My pleasure. <laughs>